This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Today is May 23rd, 2022. We're talking some boxing. Big weekend this weekend live in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. Javante Tank Davis is taking on fellow rival Roly Romero. I feel like most people are kind of dismissing this fight. I get it. They want the bigger matchups at 135. There's plenty of matchups to be made, more sexy matchups, more box office matchups. But this this just shows in itself that Tank Davis is that big of a star <clears throat> where he's selling out the Barclays. He's actually going to generate the most money for any boxing event at the Barclays, and that's with Roley. So what else is another fighter bringing to the table other than legacy? So I can see why Mayweather Promotions went with Roley. Roley is also under the Mayweather banner. This is the last fight for Javante Davis in this contract. He says this is his last fight with Mayweather Promotions. He's not re-signing. He just said no hard feelings, but he feels like the time is now to be his own man, to call his own shots, to get the fights that he wants. And we've seen this many times, top rank. Is known for building up guys. They're great at building up guys. They did it with Oscar De La Hoya. But it came to a point where Oscar De La Hoya was the golden boy. And he made golden boy promotions. He took his career into his own hands. And that's where he became even bigger of a star. Same thing with Floyd Mayweather. He was on top rank. He felt like he wasn't getting exactly what he wanted. So he bought himself out. um, Bet on himself and made himself into money Mayweather. And we're seeing it now with Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford was with Top Rank his whole career. Great career on HBO. Um, Turned over to ESPN. Did really good numbers there as well. But didn't get the fights that he really wanted. So once his contract ended, he was he was done. He's, he claims to be done and he's going to move on. He's actually suing them for not getting the fights that he wanted. So Javante Davis branching off on his own isn't anything new. I mean, I think you need a promoter early on to kind of build you up, get you on the right path. But then once you become a household name, you should go the independent route. You should generate the most money possible and have the most say in your opponents. So we're going to see what's next for Javante Davis. This is a step in the road or bump in the road, if you will. After this, it should only be bigger and better For Javante Davis, we have to see what happens next week. We have Devin Haney versus George Cambosos for Undisputed. That's a big fight. And Tank seems interested in the winner. So we're just going to have to see. Lomachenko's still there. Um, Hopefully after the war in Ukraine or if he gets um, released early, he steps back in the ring and gives us a big fight. Shakur Stevenson is another guy who's right on the cusp. He is... In 130 right now, he has two championships, but he said he's going to move up soon. I think Isaac Cruz is still a formidable opponent for anyone in that division. Ryan Garcia, a household name, a guy who's generating a million dollars in ticket sales himself, which is very rare in the sport. He's another guy to mix it up with these others. The division has so much talent. Uh, William Zapata, the, the list goes on. There's just so many guys that... Keyshawn Davis, there's just so many guys that are talented that are going to make huge fights 
in the future. I know we want everything right now, now, now. But some things do need to build, don't they? I was looking back at Roy Jones versus Bernard Hopkins, and that fight wasn't big at all. It was a co-main. It seemed like the crowd wasn't fully into it. it didn't have that much hype around it in the broadcast, from the broadcast perspective anyway, looking back at it. It didn't feel like a big deal. And that's a shame because those are two Hall of Famers. Those are two of the greatest fighters of their era. But when they met up, it was a little bit too early. These guys hadn't become who they were going to be. They didn't reach that level. They didn't reach the peak of their performance experience-wise or anything like that. So the fight wasn't a huge attraction. I want these fights that I just mentioned, these guys, once they meet up, to be huge events. And I think we're really close to that happening within the next year and a half. Haney is starting it off this weekend, or excuse me, next weekend. But this weekend, Roley Romero, this guy trash talks his way into a fight. I think he's great for this position. Also a Mayweather fighter. He's a power puncher. He has a great left hand, solid right hand. He's very awkward. I think people are quickly to dismiss him because of his technique and his fundamentals. And things don't look smooth. They're bowling true ugly, as Jim Ross would say. That's okay, because on fight night, I believe we're going to see all action. And that's really what I'm paying to see as a customer who's going to the event. I bought a ticket. In my head, when I bought the ticket, I said, this fight is going to be entertaining. Is it going to be that competitive? We don't know. It's it's the unknown. We, don't, we really don't know. Roley shouldn't be competitive skill-wise, but that awkwardness is tough. For technically sound guys. And Javante Davis is a technically sound guy. He's a highly decorated amateur. He has about 300 amateur fights. He is a technical guy. Don't be fooled by his power. Just because he can knock you out. Just because he presses for knockouts. Doesn't mean he doesn't have technique as well. That was displayed in the Esau Cruz fight. He can box. He can box on his back foot. He can use his jab. He can get out of the way. Use his defense and be slick if he has to. He just usually doesn't have to. So I think when it's technical guys like that who are all about timing and precision, an awkward guy like Roley does present some problem. Ask Floyd Mayweather, ask any of these technical guys, Marquez, the awkward fighters are the hardest for them. Floyd had trouble, he says, with Emmanuel Augustus. He always brings that guy up. Why does he bring that guy up when, when asked about his toughest fights? It's not because he's a great fighter all time. Absolutely not. He's very awkward, though. His timing was weird. He moved differently. He was just a different cat that you couldn't really prepare for, you couldn't really uh, train for or spar for because he's so unpredictable. Roley is that guy. He's very unpredictable, and he has a big punch. That's dangerous. I'm not saying he's going to win the fight. I'm definitely taking Tank Davis by knockout. I'm just saying Roley is rough, rugged, physical, and awkward. And I think that's going to lead to an entertaining fight for as long as it lasts. The thing is, I don't know how long it's going to last. My prediction is probably around the seventh round, but I really can't call it. I don't know. It depends what Roley comes with. Is Roley going to go straight for the kill like he says he's going to, or is he playing mind games? Is he crazy, or is he crazy like a fox? Is he going to set a trap? Is he luring Gervonta Davis into something. That's going to be interesting to see. Or is he just going to come out from the gate and just run straight forward on some Sean Porter type, like physical, 
but even more, even worse than Porter. They say Porter leads with his head. Roley leads with everything. Leads with his head, his elbows, his forearm. He is a dirty guy. He is someone that you want a good referee in there because you don't know what he's going to do. He's going to do anything that the referee doesn't tell him not to. It's going to be up to the referee to really get in there and really be on Roley. If it's not a good referee, if it's dirty and ugly, then it'll be even more interesting than I imagined. Roley's a much bigger guy than Tank Davis. Yes, they both weigh in at 135, but you get the feeling that, especially the shape that, that Tank's been in, you get the feeling that it's not really hard for him anymore to make that weight. Roley, I don't know how he makes the weight. The guy looks like he's 180. The guy looks really big when he's walking around on a regular basis. So it's going to be interesting to see if he even makes the weight at all or if he purposely comes in heavier because he believes that could be his only way to win. It's not like they're going to call off the pay-per-view. I would not be shocked if Roley purposely comes in heavier. He's a bigger guy, he's a more physical guy, and he has a big punch. So those three things alone make it very interesting. Then when you factor in the awkwardness, then when you factor in the mind games, I'm really intrigued by the fight. But Davis is going to come in. I believe the smartest strategy for him would be to use his legs for the early rounds. Just try to try to see how Roley's going to attack you. Kind of uh, feel him out. And then when you start to time him, then you start landing big shots. But I don't think it would be smart for a tank to go for the kill in the first round or two. I just think there's too much of a risk there with a big puncher. Why risk it? You know you have the better skills. You know you are the better boxer. So rely on that and then break tank, break uh, Roley down later in the fight when he's chasing you around the entire night. It's gonna, he's going to get frustrated as well um, trying to find Tank because I don't think Tank will be there at least until the middle rounds. Just like the Isak Cruz fight, he's going to be on his back foot and Tank can, can really work off his back foot. He's not a guy who wastes punches. He doesn't throw for no reason. He's very precise. When he throws, it's something big. So I don't think he can tire himself out with his activity volume-wise, but I think his leg movement is going to be the key here to this fight. Javante is a very misunderstood guy. I, I talked about his amateur pedigree earlier. He's a very smart fighter in the ring. He's, his ring IQ is bar none. When people say smart person, they automatically go to like vocabulary and how well can he read and, you know, he doesn't do great interviews, so how could he possibly be an intelligent guy? Intelligence is measured in so many different ways. Your neighbor may be great at landscaping and, and know how to trim hedges and, and at perfect angles, and and he may be great with plants and, and watering trees and just knowing everything about nature, and he may be intelligent in that way. And then you got a guy next door who may be street smart and may have built an empire on his own from, from nothing. You may have a guy down the street who's a great mechanic and knows the ins and outs of a car. You may know an accountant that is great with math and numbers. Intelligence is measured in so many different ways. Javante Davis is very intelligent in the sport of boxing. He sets you up very methodically and he doesn't rush his offense. He doesn't waste punches, and he doesn't throw until he's in the perfect position to throw. He's not going to throw from halfway across the ring wide, wild punches. No, he's going to get in range. He's going to make sure he's in range 
once he's sure he's in range, is when he's going to unload. And he's going to lure you into traps. Kind of like the Leo Santa Cruz one. That's one of my favorite ones to mention. When he has a guy in the corner and he's letting Santa Cruz fire off. You think, oh my God, how is he getting hit with this same punch over and over? But he didn't get hit. He deflected it the second time. He completely dodged it the third time. But he was he was framing his opponent up and seeing, okay, what are you throwing when I'm in this position? Oh, if I get you in the corner, what's your reaction going to be? Leo's was the right hand. Gervonta, a subtle little slip to the side, comes up with an uppercut wide open and puts Leo Santa Cruz to sleep. Gervonta does that many times. He's a knockout artist. He's not just a hard puncher. He's an artist. There's a reason you hear that term because he sets it up perfectly. So Gervonta, I think, is going to take his time here and find the opening, because there's going to be openings. Roley's a wide puncher. Like I said, the technique isn't there. He's wide. He's definitely open to get hit. He definitely walks into some stuff. So Tank's going to see exactly what he can land, and he's going to set it up. I think it's going to be a lead right hook that is really going to damage you, because when, when Roley leads in, uh, leans in on you and gets physical, that lead hand, remember, Javante Davis is a southpaw, so that right hand is out in front. I think the right hook is going to be the big-time game-changer in this fight. Look for the right hook from Javante Davis as Roley is kind of leaning in, whether it happens early or late, I don't know, but I think that lead right hand is going to be a big-time factor in this fight. I also like Javante's focus as of late. Talks about it on All Access. He's talked about it in previous interviews, how he's just maturing. You can tell he doesn't want to be in trouble anymore. He wants to be known, actually, as a guy that people looked at and said, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it to a guy who completely did a 180 in his life and became a success story. He's a father now. He has a lot more responsibility, and he really understands his path to an amazing legacy. It's all in front of him right now. He's a pay-per-view star already. He is a ticket mover, one of the biggest in the sport. There's only a handful of guys who can just pack stadiums like this. Anthony Joshua, Canelo Alvarez, Earl Spence, Terrence Crawford, Deontay Wilder, and that's uh, Ryan Garcia now. And that's really it for like U.S. guys that can, in the U.S., that can come here and just sell wherever. This guy fights in Atlanta to sell out. Los Angeles, it's a sellout. Now New York, it's a sellout. Um, his hometown, Baltimore, it's a sellout. This guy can go anywhere in the country and do numbers. That's impressive. So that part is already down. Now, it's just about getting the big names in there with him. He's definitely a pound-for-pound pound guy, in my opinion. I got him right in the top 10. He has the skills. I like that he's gone in different divisions. He's gone from 130 He's gone up to 140, fought a top 10 guy there. And at 135, he's just destroying competition for the most part. Isak Cruz was a close fight, but Javante Davis usually gets the job done in different fashion. He can box, he can bang. Um, real quick, I want to pound for pound. It's something that the criteria is different just based on your opinion, really. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier about this. We may have different lists. I just like to hear different people's logic behind it. 
I'm going to run through mine real quick as it stands. Now, I want to keep in, I want everyone to keep in mind we are a week and a half away from an undisputed title fight between Cambosis, who's undefeated, he had a victory over Teofimo Lopez, and Devin Haney, who's undefeated, who had two of the best victories in the division last year when he beat Linares and Jojo Diaz. Those were big wins. So I believe the winner of that will find its way onto this pound-for-pound list, depending on how they do it and in what fashion. But real quick, I'm going to go through my 15 pound-for-pound. Again, all opinion. We'll give a brief summary, but I don't want to go in too deep. I don't want to uh, keep you guys here all night. But I will break it down in another podcast. But 15, number one, I got to say Alexander Usyk. The cruiserweight run is so underrated, it's it's incredible. It's not about names. You're not thinking about celebrities here. You're thinking about the guys he fought and how good those guys were. If you don't know that the guys were good, just because you don't know who the guys' names are, you have to go and watch these guys. Christoph Glowacki, he fought him in Poland. Michael Hunter, he fought him in the U.S. Marco Huck, he fought him in Germany. Maris Bredis, he fought him in Latvia. Murat Gassiev, he fought him in Russia. Tony Bellew, he fought him in the UK. Anthony Joshua for the heavyweight championship, he fought him in his hometown of the UK, his home country of the UK. All these fighters were all ranked top five at that time, except for maybe Tony Bellew, who I believe officially retired and then came back. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember correctly, he was a top guy in the cruiserweight division before that. These guys were all highly ranked. A lot of them were undefeated. He beat them all in their home country. And most of these guys, except for, yeah, I believe pretty much every one of these guys has not lost since. They lost to a great fighter. Good fighters lose to great fighters. Usyk has beaten a lot of really good high-level fighters. He moved up to heavyweight. People thought he was crazy for that. They didn't think he was big enough. He was a small guy for this super heavyweight type of era we're in where every guy is 6'6 and 240. This guy came into that division and beat Anthony Joshua in his home country. Got to be number one for that. Number two, I got to go Terrence Crawford. He's gone through divisions. He was undisputed at 140. He's stopped everyone at welterweight that he's fought. It's not just he's beating these guys. Yes, he isn't fighting the best welterweights all the time. We can critique him for that. I have an entire episode about it. But when he was in there with a Sean Porter, who everyone had in their top five, he stopped him. That's the difference. He's stopping these guys. He's he's making them belong. He's making them look like they don't belong. Not necessarily Porter, but he was making most of these guys look like they don't belong. Just knocking them out, stopping them, not leaving any doubt at all. Got to put him number two because he has the toolbox as well. When I when I rank pound for pound, I'm talking about what you can do. How many different things can you do? Can you switch stances? Terrence Crawford can. Alexander Usyk can. Can you throw a left hook? Great. Can you throw a right hand? Great. Can you jab? Great. From whichever stance you're in. Can you move your legs? Can you fight going backwards? Can you fight going forward? Can you go to the body? Can you defend your body? These are things that these two guys, Crawford and Usyk, they do all of it. Everything. They do everything great. That is why they're top two. Until they can get beaten, then we'll see what happens. But I test-wise, they got to be top two. And then number three, my dog, Earl, the truth, Spence, 28-0. All three of the top three guys are undefeated. Spence and Crawford, 
I don't want to put either of them number one because the winner of their fight will be number one. That's another reason I got Usyk number one. It's because Crawford and Spence, they got to fight each other. Usyk's fighting guys. Usyk's fighting the top dogs in his in his division, whatever division he's in. He holds three out of the four belts in his division. He's a dog. Crawford, also a dog. Spence, also a dog. But these two guys got to fight each other to see who the top dog really is. Number four, I got to go with Jermel Charlo. I mean, I have to. I have to go with this guy. He's another one. He's clearing out his division, and he's doing it in impressive fashion. You have a close fight with him, okay, we'll do the rematch, and he stops you. That's impressive. He's literally cleared out the division to where now there's a whole other era behind him with Tim Zhu and Sebastian Fondora. Now they're chasing him. He's the top dog. He's not a guy where you say, oh, well, if he fought this guy, no. He's proving it. There's no what-ifs in his division. My favorite division in the in the sport, 154. He is the king of the best division in the sport, in my opinion. Number five, now you're at New Way. I mean, if you haven't seen this guy, I mean, I mean, what are we talking about here? We talk about skills. This guy has all the skills. He needs a little bit more opponents. Recently, he's kind of fell off as far as his competition. Before that, he was running through all the top guys. Now, I don't know what ESPN's doing with him, but they finally got the rematch with Donaire. That's going to be fantastic. Can't wait to see that. But if you haven't seen the monster, as they call him, Naoya Inoue, out of Japan, 22-0, hits like a brick. This guy has power. For a guy that size, it doesn't even make sense. He hits guys, and they fall. It's devastating. He can do it all as well. Body punch is tremendous. Got good defense. Highly, highly skilled. Got to be in the top five. Number six, the legend, Roman Gonzalez, Chocolatito, 51-3. One of those losses is extremely controversial. Actually, two of them are controversial. One of them is a knockout. And it's a pure case of he beats everybody except for Sorungvisai. For some reason, Sorungvisai has his number. Beat him once in a controversial fight and then knocked him out in the rematch. Got to be top five. This guy is just amazing. If you haven't seen Chocolatito... You're in for a treat. This guy throws 100 punches per round nonstop from 1 to 12 if he doesn't stop you. He sets you up perfectly. He's brilliant offensively and defensively, and he's been doing it for over a decade at this level. He led all fighters 10 years ago in punches in a fight and then has done it again a decade later. It's just unbelievable still fighting top-notch competition when he got knocked out people thought his rise was over his reign at the top was over no he rose back up to that level and he's again dominating top competitors it doesn't make sense this guy's found the fountain of youth definitely in my top 10 actually at number six so i can't see a reason to not have chocolatito in your top 10 so number seven saul canelo alvarez 57, 2-2, two two, devastating puncher, great head movement, face of the sport. Guy has one of the best left hooks in boxing, great uppercut as well. Definitely got to be in your top 10. I don't care that he lost to Bevel. That's enough to move him down. You got to move him down. He can't be number one after that. But he can't be out of your top 10 either. We can't get too crazy. Still a great fighter. Yes, he has very controversial fights. Triple G, Lara, Trout. The Floyd fight was a shutout, 
The Beevil fight wasn't close. But this guy is still one of the best fighters in the world. You have to commend him for taking risks. I mean, maybe it was a cherry pick gone wrong, as Roy Jones likes to say. Maybe he thought Beevil was going to be easy, and he wasn't. Looked at a guy who didn't have many stoppages, and he wasn't. But I still give him credit for going up there and fighting a guy who was highly skilled, undefeated, and much bigger than you. Great performance by Beevil, but Canelo still is in the mix. And then right under him, I have Beevil. Why do I have Beevil under Canelo? Because of the weight classes. Pound for pound, Canelo is still has all the belts at 168. If Beevil came down to 168 and beat him there, then you have to talk about Beevil being in the top five. But I got Beevil at eight. Still has a lot of good wins. Beat Joe Smith Jr. Beat Craig Richards. Um, and beat Canelo Alvarez. That right there in itself are three great victories. He's 20-0. He's hot right now. Beevil got to be in your top 10. Stephen Fulton, 20-0 as well. He's another guy just fighting top competition. Went to war with Brandon Figueroa. Beat him at his own game. That's the thing about Stephen Fulton that I love. He can be slick. He can be defensive. He can box you from the outside. But, oh, you're a banger. You like to come in the inside. You like to slug it out. Well, I can do that too. He'll beat you any way you want to get beaten. Stephen Fulton, super bantamweight champion, unified champion, actually. One of the best in the business, and he continues to fight top competition. He's fighting Danny Roman, who is another top three guy in the division. That's going to be a great fight. That is on the same night as Cambosos Haney. I got him at number eight. Number nine, uh, number nine, excuse me. Number 10, I got Javante Davis. 26-0. We already talked about him. He's fighting Rolly Romero. We want to see him fight better guys, but he has fought at 130, he's fought top five guys. At 135, he's fought top five guys. At 140, he's fought top 10 guys. This guy can go any weight class, and the power has translated. Got to be in your top 10. At number 11, I got to go Shakur Stevenson, 18-0. He's still on the rise, though. I want to see him fight better competition. Um, not his fault. I'm saying he's fighting the guys that he should. It's just they're not on that level. He's fighting the champions. They just don't seem to be near his level. Jamel Herring was a good win for Shakur. Shakur got the stoppage, but then we just saw Shakur. Uh, we saw Herring just get dominated and destroyed, broken down by Massachusetts native Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz is a guy on the rise, but it just shows that Herring is done. He actually retired after the fight. So when he fought Shakur, he was not his best. I'm not saying he would have a chance either way. I'm just saying I want to see Shakur in there with a guy who can actually test him. Valdez, the same thing. Didn't have much to test him. He was coming off of getting outboxed already by Kinsayao. Before that, he had been in war after war after war. He was not the same guy either. So Shakur, I want to see him with better fighters before I can put him in my top 10. But the talent level is still there off the charts. Great defense. Amazing footwork. Um, offensive creativity doesn't really have the pop. Doesn't really have the will to stand in there and get guys out of there yet. That's something he needs to work on. But with that said, guy's still one of the 11 best fighters in the world, in my opinion. Number 12, Juan Estrada. Had the controversial win over Chocolatito. Beat Carlos Quadras. Beat Sorung Visay. Sorung Visay is the guy who knocked out Chocolatito. So it's like a, a mixed bag in that division where these guys, one guy can beat one guy, but he can't necessarily beat the other. So Juan Estrada, 42-3, Mexican warrior. Definitely in my top 15. Number 13, Josh Taylor, 19-0. Had amazing success in the World Boxing Super Series. Beat Regis Progre. Then he beat Jose Ramirez to become a disputed. 
That's when I had him in my top 10. But since then, he had the fight against um, Catterall, Jack Catterall. And that was a fight with, that I thought Josh Taylor clearly lost. He got a gifted decision there. So I had to drop him. He's still a great fighter. But coming off that fight, it's like, what have you done for me lately? I, with my own eyeballs, saw you lose pretty convincingly. So we'll see what's next for Taylor. I believe he's fighting Jose Zapata next. That should be a good fight. Number 14, Jamal Charlo. The other twin, 32-0, middleweight, one of the best jabs in the sport. The resume isn't quite there yet. I think Sergey Derevinchenko was probably his best win, at least most dominant win. It was a pay-per-view for him. It was a fighter that many people thought beat Triple G, so he had a lot to prove in that that one, and he completely dominated. So he definitely has the credit. I just want to see him in there with the Boo Boo Andres, the Triple Gs, uh, even Murata, someone like that. Get Another quality guy on your resume. If not, you're going to move up. Fight Benavidez. Fight Caleb Plant. Fight one of those guys at 168. But needless to say, the skills are there for Charlo. Um, The mentality is there. Just the other guys above him have done more as far as resume goes. Number 15, the Destroyer. Artur Beterbiev. Light heavyweight. Devastating puncher. 17-0. All 17 are by knockout. One of the hardest hitters in the sport. Pound for pound, bar none. Guy hits like a truck. Him versus Joe Smith next month is going to be complete carnage. I'm interested to see how that goes. But him and Bevel is probably the fight to see in that division. But that's it. Those are my top 15. Let me know what you guys think about those. Send me your top 15. Send me your top 20. Tell me how I don't know shit about boxing. Tell me how my pound for pound is horrible. Because everyone has their own opinion. This just happens to be mine. See you guys in Barclays if you're there in Brooklyn. Enjoy the fights. Actually, speaking of the fights, I haven't even gotten into the undercard, and that pretty much tells you how I feel about the undercard. Um, Arislandi Lara is fighting on the co-main against Gary O'Sullivan. I think that, while the matchup is whack, Gary Sullivan isn't anything. I am interested in Lara being in action. I think Lara, late in his career, has kind of adapted a more fan-friendly style, if that's because... He wants to maximize his paydays, or his legs are going a little bit, or a combination of both. The guy is uh, close to 40 years old, but he is a great fighter still, and has become more action-friendly. So I think the O'Sullivan fight could be interesting as far as entertainment goes. O'Sullivan, I don't see having any chance of beating Lara, so I just hope Lara steps on the gas and gets O'Sullivan out of there and maybe four rounds or less. I think he has the ability to do that, and hopefully someone will step up and fight Lara. Lara's been an avoided fighter. We talk about other guys being avoided. Lara's right there, still getting avoided. He fought Canelo Alvarez a long time ago at 154. At 154, and Canelo Alvarez is now just had his last fight at 175. So that shows how long that's been since Lara has had a big fight. Guys don't really step up to him. Brian Castaño fought him. That was a draw. I thought Castaño won it. But Lara is still a tough out. Also on that card is Jesus Ramos against Luke Santa Maria. I think that will probably be the best fight out of the undercard fights. Jesus Ramos is a beast. I think he's only 21 years old, fighting at 154. That's another guy to look out for in that division. Santa Maria, decent fighter, had an upset victory over Abel Ramos, the uncle of Jesus Ramos. So, Kind of here to avenge his uncle. That fight was on the Ugas Spence undercard. Santa Maria got the upset. So I think 
Jesus Ramos has extra motivation to take it to Luke Santa Maria. That should be an action-packed fight. And then the opener is Eduardo Ramirez versus Luis Melendez. Uh, that's whatever. Don't really care for that fight, but I'll definitely be in the building for it. Definitely watching all these fights live. Hopefully they deliver some excitement and possibly some spoilers because you never know. That's why we watch the fights. Anything can happen. But my final predictions are a night full of knockouts. I think Jesus Ramos gets the knockout. Eris Landy Lara gets some type of knockout, maybe a TKO, but he'll get the stoppage. And then I think Javante Davis closes the show in the seventh round. I think it will take a little bit because, like I said earlier in the podcast, Roley is a strong guy. He's a durable guy. He's a bigger guy. I think it'll take a little bit to get um, to get into the distance, really, of, of Roley. Roley has that jab to the stomach that I think is probably going to be his most important punch. Yes, he wants to land a big one, but I think the jab to the stomach of, of Javante Davis will keep Tank at range for as long as possible. But eventually, Tank will close the distance, and I think it'll be around the 6th or 7th, getting the stoppage in the 7th. That's my final prediction. That's all I got for you guys this week. Next week, Undisputed in Australia. I will be covering that. Stay tuned. Give me that five-star review. But Saturday, it's all about Brooklyn. I'll see you guys there. I'm out.